Welcome to the Restoration Counseling Podcast. It's not for therapists, it's for everybody. I'm your host, professional counselor, Jared Pogue. Not everybody needs counseling, but certainly everybody needs a little help every now and again. Well, it's great to be back, everyone. Uh, A few weeks uh, writing tests, organizing classes, uh, being filled to the brim with pollen, and generally trying to get my life together can make time fly. So it's great to be with you again. This week, I'm getting the chance to interview professional marriage counselor Kyle Susenbeck. Kyle is perhaps one of the most enthusiastic and well-read therapists I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. In a line of work that can sometimes be draining or exhausting, I find Kyle to be a breath of fresh air that's greatly needed. Um, Kyle is passionate about the big picture of life, the thing we tend to lose in the busyness of our day-to-day. Um, informative, ponderous, and moving, Kyle takes us through what inspires him. Uh, this is existentialism, which is the act of uh, focusing on that big picture of life. And speaking for myself here, as someone who gets swept up in his to-do list so easily, I know I needed to reconnect to this, uh, to this grander picture in my life. And that is exactly where Kyle leads us in this interview. I hope this episode is as big of an encouragement for you to listen to as it was for me to record. With that said, enjoy today's show. start off with the the topic of existentialism mm-hmm. um, what is that yeah so existentialism has its roots in philosophy uh, the father the traditional father of existentialism is a guy named Soren Kierkegaard and then later it advanced into uh, psychotherapy counseling with guys like Rollo May and uh, Viktor Frankl and so existentialism really at its root it's all about this idea of what are the big questions of life? I'm a Christian, and Victor Frank or um, Soren Kierkegaard also was a, a Christian, and so for them, it, it's this idea: okay, who who has God made me to be? Um, what is why is there suffering? What's the significance of that? What do relationships mean? And what is are they important? Um, and then also, kind of, what is freedom, and how does that work with my life? And so there's kind of these, you know, it's it, eager to wrestle with the really big questions of life. Yeah, um, it, it sounds like you've done a lot of studying and, and reading up on this subject. I, I don't think I'm anywhere near this well-versed. No, well, uh, so, I mean, I, I studied some, and I did my undergrad in psychology, and then I did some self-study and my minor in philosophy, and um, I've always loved kind of stewing in this mix. I, I, I'm more comfortable having deep conversations than anything surface level, and so it, for better and for worse, it makes it really natural for me to want to go here. Yeah. Uh, go here. What do you mean? Yeah, go begin to ask the questions. Of, uh, so for me, I would much rather, even on like first time meeting somebody, I want to know kind of who are you, and, and on a deep level, kind of what like what is at the core of your being. Who do you feel like you you are? Like you're who are you meant to be? Who are you made to be? At the end of your life, what is what do you want to have lived for? Yeah. What brings you most satisfaction? Those sort of questions. Yeah, uh, those are. I mean, you'd agree. Those are some pretty intense and heavy questions mm-hmm. to to get the answer to. How does 
how does someone go about getting to those answers? Yeah. Well, I think the first part of it is, on the whole, they can feel kind of overwhelming. Um, understandably, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But if, when, when you're in a place that is safe, and you can begin to process that with somebody who um, you know wants the best for you, wants you to flourish, then I think that it's a lot easier to begin to ask these questions and just what, you know, so I'm an extrovert and part of that means that I like to process externally. And so sometimes I'll say things and maybe that sounds right, maybe it doesn't. And so I love to have dialogue with people, especially if it's around these conversations, because it allows me to articulate things and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes it, it gels with what kind of the core of me and sometimes it doesn't. But um, yeah, I mean, I think anybody can begin to approach these questions and say, you know, does this, does this sound right for me? Do, you know, I, what is this suffering that I've had? How, how do I make sense of it? Um, mm. Rather than leaving these things off in the distance because they're either too, they feel too painful or, and in my experience is on the contrary, by approaching these things, you can have some closure, you can have some, you can make some sense of what's going on in your life. Yeah, no, that, I think that's real interesting. Um, I'm with you, I think everyone comes about answering these questions very differently. Mm -hmm. uh, if someone to come into your office and say they were um, struggling to find these answers, how would you begin helping them find them? Yeah, so I mean, it, it depends on their age and kind of where they're at, but part of that can be just let's look at your history on what do you enjoy doing? What do you love to do? When do you feel most alive? Yeah. Um, because if you can articulate some of that, then we can begin to say, okay, like how does this align with your, your worldview and with um, who, do you, who do you feel like God has made you to be? Because it can feel really big and kind of lofty. Yeah. Um, but if you can break it down into little things like just a simple question of, you know, at the end of your life, what would you want your your friends and your family to say about you? Maybe it's things like, you know, I want them to know that I'm, I want them to say that I was kind and generous or selfless or hardworking or whatever it may be for you. That question doesn't feel quite as overwhelming as what's the purpose of life or what is, yeah. who has God made you to be? That can feel a little overwhelming. Sure. Um, but if we can break it down into, into little pieces to say, okay, like, now that we have these trends of characteristics that you want to live by, well, what, what can we do? What can you do in your everyday life that helps you to align with these characteristics? That then at the end of your life, you would begin to, you would be able to, people would say that about you, honestly and genuinely. Yeah. Uh, do you think people interact with these questions on the day-to-day? -day? Is it just for the deep thinkers out there? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good question. So I think that it does depend a little bit on everybody. I think it, we can get caught up in the busyness of life and sort of push these things to the side. But I think anytime there's any sort of uh, suffering in life, any sort of uh, loss, any sort of death of a loved one, any sort of um, any sort of difficulty, I think you can begin to. It's very easy for our minds to go here to say, "Why did this happen? You know, is this what I want to do?" I, so many of my my friends, you know, at the end of Maybe it's in, in the morning, right when they're about to go to work, they're like, man, I don't want to go to work. Is this what, is this what I want to do? Or, you know, at the end of the day, they, they get home and they're just, you know, like, gosh, I, I wish work was more satisfying. Or, you know, so it may not, they may not articulate it like, oh, I'm having existential thoughts. Or I'm thinking <laughs> sure. about my, the, my purpose or my meaning. 
But I, but I definitely think that these kind of thoughts can cross all of our minds. They, I believe they all cross our minds at some point or another. Yeah, no, I'm following you. I find some people have a, what I call like a existential IQ. Yeah. In a sense that some people are, are they really understand those questions mm-hmm. and they can connect day-to-day things to those greater questions. Um, those people are gifts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think most of us, people like me, aren't the type to do that immediately. Right. We're too busy maybe looking at results or mm-hmm. just what's in front of us and, and maybe more practical solutions. How do you move someone to get them closer to that existential IQ? You know, how do you take yeah. someone who, who, who's more attuned to the day-to-day setup right. than they are with the big picture grandiosity? Yeah, so I think it, it can feel a little abstract yeah. kind of in the clouds. Uh, and so then I'd be happy to look, all right, well, let's root it in the practical. If, if you're saying right now that you're not happy, whether that's in relationships or in your job or in the work that you're doing or your leisure hobbies, whatever it may be, okay, then if you want to pursue the practical and let's say, all right, what, I'd be happy to root that. You know, if somebody's not comfortable meddling in the, in the, the big picture, then we can bring it down to a really practical level and say, all right, then let's, um, are your relationships how you want them to be? Yeah. No? Okay, then, you know, let's say a miracle happens and tomorrow your relationships are exactly like you want them to be. What would they look like? What, what characteristics would they be? What kind of things would you be doing with your friends and your family? Um, because then it, it maybe takes it. I think anybody can be a philosopher. I think people are sometimes scared away by the word philosophy or sure. words like existentialism or, you know, whatever it may be. And, and I think... I think that's maybe just the fault of philosophers for using big words that ostracize people. And hmm. I, I think that we're all made to, to think deeply and to just be intentional uh, about our life instead of feeling like we're trapped from, you know, having to go from one thing to the next. Yeah. No. That makes sense. No, that makes, okay. that, that makes perfect sense right there. shrink down and put into a box existentialism it might be from what you're describing kind of that might actually be kind of against its core belief is to not be put into a box yeah it, it sounds like and i'm hearing a lot of really positive things these these questions we all need to be answering what's the importance of life what do i who am i what do i need to be and, and, and things of that nature do negative questions come in here uh, problems of pain and things right. like that yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that can be twofold. Um, the first part is sometimes people come into counseling or, you know, just they begin to approach these questions and they are immediately hit with like, hit with the reality of, man, I don't, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know. I feel like all my relationships are subpar. And yeah. so that can be maybe a little bit scary to push into, to push into that and be afraid of what you might find. Uh, the optimism, the hope that I have, and obviously my job as a counselor is to be able to help people process that in a safe way and then move into um, 
move into ways that they can begin to apply that practically. And, and you mentioned the kind of the second piece of that though that was suffering directly. I really like the way that Viktor Frankl looks at suffering. So Viktor Frankl, just a little bit about him. Yeah. He uh, was a Viennese psychiatrist. He um, went with his uh, wife and a couple family members into concentration camp during World War II. His wife died when, um, in World War II. And so he, he was very acquainted with suffering. Uh, yeah. He says specifically that when, of the numbers that he recorded that uh, you had a one in 28 chance of surviving if you came into a concentration camp, which wow. is pretty staggering, uh, just considering how much death he saw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in the midst of that, he was saying, you know, trying try to make sense of this, trying to make sense of this, on the surface of the senseless suffering and death and just all around him. Yeah. And he was able to make some sense of it by saying, okay, as a psychiatrist, I've had you know, really the breadth of what a human can suffer. And I've seen such horrible things, and yet now I'm able to connect with my clients in, in, in new and unique ways. And I love the way that he talks about suffering because he kind of compares it to a gas. And hmm. he says that if you release gas into a room, gas will fill up the room. And in a similar way, he was, he was treating people, you know, sometimes they would have horrible, horrible life circumstances. Sometimes yeah. it didn't seem as, as terrible. Yeah. But his, his heart was to never trivialize suffering for anyone, no matter what it was, because like that gas, suffering is, it's all consuming. I mean, it, it, it floods our mind, it fills our day-to-day -day and our thought life, um, no matter what it is. And so his, his heart, and, and I very much kind of jive with him in this, is that everyone's suffering is unique mm. and, and personal and serious, and it's legitimate. And so uh, whether I'm sitting with a an adolescent who is frustrated that they can't um, maybe have as much freedom as they want on the weekends, or if I'm sitting with uh, someone who's gone through an affair, I, whatever it may be, both of those are legitimate, and I want to try to help to validate those both of those situations yeah. and then move them towards a place of, okay, well, what can we do about it, and how, what meaning can we make out of this? sitting with different people and, and seeing their sufferings and, and recognizing the, you're calling it sort of the significance, the meaning, in a sense, behind their suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, yeah, as I said, where, where would you take someone with that? Right. Humbly, <laughs> well, yeah. I, would, I would try to do that. I, again, like I said, everyone's suffering is significant. And so for me, I would never try to say, oh, I understand where you're coming from. Because yeah, they not, you know, and, and it's dangerous. That's a dangerous thing to say. So then in contrast, if I'm trying to help someone make meaning out of their suffering, first off, that needs to be a, that's not the first place I'd go. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not initially like, how do, we, how do we make meaning out of this, you know, if you just lost someone or, you know, that yeah. sometimes people need to be comforted and then they yeah. can come to a place to say, well, how do we make meaning out of this? Um, Frankel had a really interesting uh, client that he mentions where the client comes in and is having a really difficult time 
because he had lost his wife uh, mm. during the war. And he just says, you know, I, I have so much pain, I'm so lonely, I'm kind of lost in this. And so Frankel says, well, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. If, imagine if you had died before your wife, what do you think that would have done for her? And, she, and he says, you know, I really think that would have wrecked her. That would have been an incredibly painful experience for her, as I know it is for me. And so Viktor Frankl just kind of encourages them to say, is there a way for you to look at your suffering now as a way that you are able to spare her that suffering? Um, yes, this is a terrible thing that's happened. But tr whether it's, you know, being able to connect to people, as Frankl said, or being able to spare your spouse that suffering, uh, whatever it may be for you, it, it's just a part, it's a part of, you know, we all face death, yeah. uh, whether that's direct family and friends or just the reality of our own death that is to come. Uh, we can get lost in the the difficulty of that, the, the impendingness of that, and sometimes even the meaninglessness of that, or we can embrace that to say, how can I live my life really abundantly to, to pursue whatever it is that God has called me to do? Um, because I, because I, I will die one day, and I only have one life to live, yeah. and how can I use that to its fullest and to try to bring about the most amount of purpose, the most, whether as a Christian, to, to bring about the kingdom of God, to pursue love or whatever it may be for, for you that God has, has kind of created for you for. Yeah. No. Uh, there are some, some big points in that. Well, so part of that, I think, is that so going back to Kierkegaard, and he grew up in Denmark, he was talking to the church and you know, saying, wake up. And so in that, he was very against the idea of doing things just for the sake of either people's expectations upon you, yeah. um, or doing things without meaning. He, was, he saw so much hypocrisy around him that he was consumed with this idea of how do we live authentically? How do we, A, identify who we are, identify the core of who God has made us to be, and then from there move on into trying to live holistically and, and really integrate all of our activity, all of our behavior, all of our relationships into a place of, of meaning, of, of purpose, where nothing is, is fragmented or outside of, where you know at the end of the day we can really go to sleep at night and be satisfied. Hmm. Uh, by the by, the day's work that we've done, uh, whether that's spending time with friends or you know a, a profession or whatever that may be for us. Yeah. Uh, again, there's a, there's a lot of pieces to this, and a, one podcast will not do anywhere near justice yeah, to, yeah. to what we want to do with this. Yeah, of course. How does this help someone that's struggling with something, let's say, fairly common like depression? Mm -hmm. It seems like the antithesis of existentialism because depression says look at death, look at sadness, yeah. look at tragedy, and, and just sort of float in it like the Dead Sea. Yeah. What is, how does this interact with someone with depression? Well, can I go ahead and go to my own story for this? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so in my, I, I've wrestled some with depression, and one thing that I found was very interesting, I had always assumed that my depression was directly tied to my loneliness. Okay. Um, 
being unable to hang out with friends, being able to spend time with people, yeah. feeling like there was just a disconnect of, you know, I wanted deep intimacy and just just the human struggle of, of that. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting. So I spent six months abroad in India. And during that time, I was living in a home of about 38 children. Uh, we were basically caregivers for them. They were children that were brought in with at high risk for sexual exploitation. And so we were providing food and shelter and education. We were playing games and doing Bible stories. And uh, ultimately, ultimately, my job was to just to, to love on the kids. That was I was helping them start up this home. Yeah. And so at night, I was you know hugging the boys before they went to bed. And it was interesting though because I was the only American working there. Hmm. Um, I had a few friends that I had met in a local English speaking church, uh, but I would see them maybe once a week. And then. So, if loneliness was my, the, the impetus for my depression, then it would have made a lot of sense that I would have been very depressed. Yeah. In contrast, I found that I really went the entire time without depression. Hmm. Uh, and I think that it had much more to do with the fact that I was, at night, I was able to go to sleep with such a profound sense of purpose and hmm. satisfaction and saying you know, yes, this is difficult. And there were times of extreme burnout and times of, of real, of real loneliness. I, yeah. I won't, don't want to downplay that at all. But at the same time, there were 38 children that I was able to pour into and love and that I just had a, an extreme sense of kind of a, a very isolated, uh, extreme sense of, of purpose for that period of time in my life. Hmm. And so when somebody comes to me and they say, you know, yeah, I, I'm really wrestling with depression, then I, there may be some temporary sort of behavioral things that I want to work on with them. You know, we can identify the traditional coping skills and, and you know, social supports and those sort of things that are sure. great. But I also want to identify, you know, what kind of individual are they wanting to be? Because if we're just kind of putting band-aids on what's going on, we're not identifying, maybe we're going in the wrong direction. You know, if if they're wanting to be, you know, an amazing husband and an amazing father, uh, but they feel like they're very stressed at work, and so we're focusing all of our stuff at work, then yeah. it may be, we may be just in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah, yeah. And so the, I think the questions, the, you know, the, the desire for purpose and meaning, the desire for um, using our freedom in a way that is, that both embraces responsibility and allows us to have kind of the power to um, to make the most of our situation, to make the most of our lives, um, and then to be able to pour into relationships to help them to fulfill their purpose and to connect with them for intimacy and to, to really recognize the, the beauty of the life that we have in front of us instead of feeling powerless. Thank you for joining us for the Restoration Counseling Podcast. Our podcast is a product of Restoration Counseling of Atlanta, located in Roswell and Woodstock, Georgia. If you'd like to ask questions or inquire about counseling, please feel free to do so. You can email us at info at restorationcounselingatl.com. Again, that's info at restorationcounselingatl.com. If you'd like to contact Jared, please feel free to email him at Jared. J-A-R-E-D at restorationcounselingatl.com. Thank you.